Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to this, the third in our summer series of Rare Book School evening lectures. Nancy Tomasco earned her PhD in Chinese literature at Princeton University, and she has taught that subject at Bryn Mawr College and at Connecticut College. At Bryn Mawr, she pioneered a studio course on Chinese books and their construction. So you can see immediately why she's a friend of Rare Book School. Her interest in bookbinding centers on the physical aspects of traditional Chinese books, especially on paper, on printing techniques, and on binding styles. Among her articles are Traditional Handmade Paper in China Today, Its Production and Characteristics, and I'm sure I'll kill the name, Mashang Wang, a Chinese artist talks about Chinese paper in the winter 2014 issue of Hand Papermaking. For more than a decade, Nancy edited the East Asian Library Journal, which focuses on the history of the book in East Asia. She's an acknowledged expert in the field. Since the late 1990s, lucky Nancy, she has been collecting Chinese handmade papers and visiting hand paper makers in situ in China. Now, many of you will know the story of Poe, who works in his family's noodle shop and becomes of dreaming a kung fu master despite the fact that he's a panda. His dream becomes a reality when, unexpectedly, he must fulfill an ancient Chinese prophecy and study the martial arts with the Furious Five. Great master is in the arts of Kung Fu, entrusted with the ancient dragon scroll. Po needs all the wisdom, strength, and ability he can muster to keep the scroll from Tai Lung, the evil snow leopard, who wants to steal that scroll and learn its secrets of limitless power. Yes, the film is Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> the dragon scroll is made of Chinese paper, and the person who can tell us how that paper is made is Nancy Tomasco. Thank you. Oh, great. Thank you for that introduction. This has, this has to be fun, folks. Uh, I should start by maybe telling you why I say, oh, so this is Chinese paper. Most of us are, if we're conservators, are interested in East Asia or East Asian paper or have had a reason to interact with uh, East Asian paper for any reason, have some, um, some awareness of Japanese paper. Conservators have used Japanese paper for a long time and find the qualities of that paper so, so much uh, in keeping with what needs to happen to repair books in the West. Printers have used beautiful Kozo papers for a very long time. Um, I've seen printers in the West try to use Chinese paper to print things on a Vandercook press, you know, with a, the rotary kind of 
press for uh, printing, um, uh, uh, surface printing, and have come away just screaming, saying, what is this trash? What is this? This is horrible stuff. Why would I want to use this paper? It's just driving me nuts. Well, the issue is not so much with the paper. It's really with using the paper the way it was intended to be used. And recently, uh, the article that I wrote for Hand Papermaking, where I interviewed an artist, uh, Wang, Shen, uh, Wang Manshan, um, I learned a great deal from him because I was asked to write an article about calligraphy, paper, and painting. And I said to myself, goodness, I know a bit about Chinese paper. I don't know much about Chinese calligraphy, and I don't know much about Chinese art that is producing that I'm neither an artist nor a calligrapher. So I said, I need to find an artist who'll talk with me about paper so that I can learn something about what he does with paper and how he does what he does with the, the, the instruments and the substrate that he chooses. So in talking with him, he would say to me, well, I love the paper you gave me, sort of, but it really wasn't very good because I'd give him samples of paper. But then he'd come back another time and say, but you know that paper, when I tried to do this other thing with it, worked very nicely. So it's not that the paper itself is either crummy or good, it's that the paper produced in a particular area at a particular time with particular fibers has qualities about it that work in various conditions. This is no different from the way I think artists in the West work. They learn to use whatever substrate they would like to use to do what they want to do with the tools they want to do it with. So my job today is to explain a little bit about Chinese paper and maybe we'll learn that the name rice paper, which is often given to Chinese paper, is sort of okay in some ways. Um, when we come to know the qualities of these paper a little bit better and the, the quality of the paper, we may be able to give it other names, but the most common name we find associated with Chinese paper is rice paper. I have a theory about where that came from. I, I tried this theory out on uh, Soren Edgren, who's giving a course in history of the book here, the Chinese book at Ebrebrook School later on this summer. And he said, no, 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 it, it's just not right, it's just not right. There just happen to be two Chinese characters that look nearly identical. They differ by one stroke. One, they're both pronounced the same way. They're both pronounced gu. I didn't put this up on the screen only because I didn't want it on the record that I even told you this, basically. I don't, I don't want any record that I told you. But they, they're both pronounced gu, and one gu means the same, it's the same word for kozo, the Japanese paper, mulberry paper, exactly that word, and the second one means rice or grain. Now, I don't know whether somewhere along the line somebody said to somebody, you know, years ago that that character really means rice. When they were looking at the character, that meant kozo paper, that meant, you know, that paper mulberry fiber. I don't know. That's my little theory, and we'll just set it aside. <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at this. Um, you can stop me anytime if you're going to say something to me, you know, raise your hand, wave your hands, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try to stop and answer some questions as you go. Uh, I'll show you some uses for Chinese paper, and then we'll go through, I think rather quickly, the way papers are made. Um, papers we talked about today in the, the class on American and European paper making is macerated fibers of plants or trees of some sort, 
mixed in water and reformed as a sheet. That's true paper. It's not pounded fibers. It's not fibers laid one on top of the other and pressed in some way. It's fully macerated and then hydrated and again floated in water and reformed on some sort of a, a screen to make a sheet of paper. We're all familiar with paper. You're holding a, a paper paper map of China. Um, also, I must apologize. If I were a little more clever with Photoshop, the places we were going to talk about would be in order. One, two, three, four, five. They're not. I'll tell you which they are. Also, the numbers would be a little more visible, but I'm just not too clever with Photoshop at this point. Um, the first place we're going to talk about when we finally talk about them is going to be the second place, number two. It's just west of Shanghai a little bit. But when I get there, I'll tell you, hey, we're going to talk about place two, and it's slightly west of Shanghai. So just remember that. Okay, here we go. So this is Chinese paper. Um, Chinese calligraphy written on a, on a piece of uh, bamboo a calligraphy practice paper. It's very thin paper. It needs to be mounted on <coughs> other thicker paper to make it um, more sturdy. On the end of the table up here, I have a piece of Chinese painting, a Chinese painting on thin paper that's been mounted on another sheet and then framed with silk. Um, there's another piece of paper up here that's simply a woodblock print on a thin sheet of paper to give you an idea of the, um, how, how mounting and remounting um, makes it more handleable. It doesn't make it stiffer, it just makes it, um, it, makes it more flexible in some ways to mount. Uh, here's the calligrapher Wang Mansheng uh, working in his studio with a, a soft brush. Uh, sometimes young children, this is a daughter of another artist whose father is encouraging her to learn how to uh, use a brush. She does ink stories so that her father can see that she's holding the brush properly. Sometimes she also paints. Um, here, I guess you really can't see it, but the, the chain lines of the paper, the grain of the paper runs kind of diagonally, but she was exuberant in her application of paint. Here is Wang Manchang's uh, calligraphy done on uh, paper that's been dyed red and it has a, an, an artificial foil on it. Formerly this would have been done on a truly gold-flecked paper, but this is contemporary. Uh, I'm showing you this because you can see how the paper um, allows the application of the ink and then shows the dryness of the brush stroke at various places. Papers are valued for the way they absorb ink and the way they disperse ink. And an artist learns which kinds of papers he wants to use. You can look at the back of this and see that where his brush, where his brush stopped, even momentarily, you get more ink absorbed through it. Here you can see some of that dryness of the brush as well. But Manchung has learned how this paper will react to his brush and whether he needs a wetter ink or a drier ink. Uh, Chinese papers are often used also for rubbings. This is a, a stone rubbing. Um, a thin paste wash was the paste applied to it. The paper was laid up on it, and then it was ponced with pounded or ponced with a, a soot-based ink. <coughs> that particular rubbing is up here on the table. Um, now we get to the place where I just want to say, when you have an interest, it's often good that your spouse have an interest, so that your interests overlap. Now, one time my husband came to me and said. Nancy, what's this business? What's going on with this paper? What kind of paper is it? And I looked at it and I said, it's Chinese paper. He said, how could it be Chinese paper? Well, we ended up discovering that many of the banknote proofs, um, and this isn't a banknote proof, but this is a, an 1824 um, uh, intaglio portrait 
of a man named uh, William Sharp, who was a, uh, an engraver in England. Um, he just died in 1824. Maybe this is done for a commercial uh, obituary for him. And it's done on Chinese paper. Uh, these are banknotes, the banknotes from 1821. Um, they were acquired, you can see it was cut right in this area here. Originally, this was a note of five, four sheets, I think. And we started looking at it. Mark acquired these one each in different auctions. Started looking at it, noticing things on the side here. Flipped it over, and we have Chinese characters. These are acquired in different auctions, but they are exactly from the same sheet. Now, this is the stamp of a known merchant in Canton. Clearly, I, I'm guessing, I don't have tremendous proof, but it's pretty good, that this was the paper merchant's seal or stamp on the back of a sheet of paper, and they simply used the sheet of paper. 1821, we're having Chinese paper used for banknote proof. This is not a, a note that would be, this is only uniface, so it wouldn't be used in this fashion, but they were pulling proofs on this. These characters, I can read each one of them. Together, they make no sense to me. I've even asked professors of Chinese literature, um, Chinese professors, and can't make sense of those words, but it's a further evidence that it's Chinese paper. Here is a banknote proof done by the American Banknote Company. Um, the plate, or the, yeah, the plate for this was done in uh, 1917. Across the top, you've got this smudge of blue and red. This is actually the mark that a paper maker would put on the edge of a bolt. And later on in the talk, you'll, you'll see that. Chinese papers, when they're stored, are wide. They're folded and folded again and then folded back. This is a good way to keep the papers from uh, being frazzled on the edge. And then they stamp the, the splayed edge with evidence that they, the papermaker's name, the kind of paper it is, the, sometimes the date the paper was produced, and then uh, some other information. So this is good evidence that this is Chinese paper. Banknote proofs found were, were done on this because the, the way this ink was absorbed in the intaglio printing process worked very nicely to produce a clear, crisp um, proof. There's another example of this, same sort of thing. This is a 1930s, uh, 20s, 30s um, proof of a uh, Costa Rican banknote. Um, here's another piece. This is a header for, um, this is a bond mark? Bond header? What? A oh, stock certificate. Um, done again by the American Banknote Company. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. And again, across the top, this lovely little rim, which proves to me that this is Chinese paper. I can look at it and see that. Um, I'm showing you this because that process of printing is, is a chine collet process. You have Chinese paper on a backer, uh, which is what chine collet is. is thin paper with another paper on the back of it, and you get an artistic process that um, allows you to have printed on this very thin paper. Um, this is an untrimmed proof. This might, the excess might have been trimmed off. What? Someone say something? Mark? Yeah. <laughs> I, I got my, um, what shall we say, clues from him on these things. So this is an evidence that chine collet is an important process. Chine collet, it's, co you know, it's sort of collaging with Chinese paper. And here's an example of a, a modern-day artist. This is a friend of mine in England. I don't love the art, but I gave her this paper. There's a piece of this paper in one of those sample books on the front. So this is an evidence that a modern-day artist is also loving to use Chinese paper in her, her chine collet. Now, where do we go? 
Uh, this is some um, artists who are putting in exhibits or displays. This is a, called a boat. It's a paper boat. Apparently this artist is in a display in England. used over 800 bolts of paper to produce this boat of paper. You can see he's just laid sheets of paper over and over and over again to produce this. Um, this is uh, Xu Bing, a very famous artist who's also producing um, paper. This is He's carved the blocks on which, which he's used to print um, these pieces of paper. There are books in the front which show you the flexibility of the book. These books that are laid open show you the Chinese paper, even in bound form, is extraordinarily flexible. Um, and this, my husband says this is not terribly clear slide, but I think I'm showing you the flexibility. There is one book laid on top of another book. And they are, this is an eight, uh, excuse me, 17, 1730s um, movable metal type edition of the book. This is an 1890s photolitho of the same book. And I'm just showing you that even over the centuries, this paper is terribly flexible. This is a bamboo paper. This is a whiter paper that's called Shren paper. Um, I'll explain Shren in a little bit. But just to show you that this Chinese paper retains its flexibility in its, in its use. Oops, wrong way. Okay, and how, are, how is paper used in other ways? Paper is used to bind up little pamphlets. The only binding in this small pamphlet is a, uh, called Capital Gazette. It's kind of a, a little a news item sheet of things that happening in the capital, generally, um, in, generally devised for officials. This is 1890s. Um, just these very simple paper twists are the, the binding structure of this pamphlet. So paper has lots of utility. Um, the paper inside is also printed, uh, probably movable woodblock type, and, uh, but the outside is oops, going the wrong way. Now, these are the paper twists, some examples of them. These are signed by various binders. They thought I was a little nuts asking them for these paper twists, but I love paper twists as an example of binding, and um, they signed these things happily for me. Uh, another artist does spins paper just like the paper twist, spins it and weaves it or crochets it or knits it into to garments. We know this kind of tradition also from Japan and from Korea, the weaving of uh, or using of, of string um, to, to, to create garments. Now, let's look at some paper making places. We'll try to go a little quickly. This is site number two on your, site number two on your, your map. It's just slightly west of Shanghai. It's called Fuyang. That's the name of the place. The province is called Zhejiang. Uh, I went there in 1999, but I've been there several other times. I think the last time I was there in 2000. I was there in 98, 99, and in 2000. But most of these slides come from 1999. process will show you is how fibers are prepared, so far as I can ascertain, because sometimes you're, they are not preparing their fibers there. I'll show you sheet formation. We'll show you drying of the papers, and we'll show you something of the bundling of papers for, for sale. We're going to look at two sites. One is called um, which where they're making very white paper that's called shren paper. Ideally, shren paper is a combination of dry land rice straw and a bast fiber, which is the inner bark of the mulberry tree, a mulberry family tree called the blue sandalwood. Various combinations produce various textures of paper. We're also going to look at um, paper from another area, which is not too far from Jiaojiswen, called Li Jiaojiswen, and there they're making bamboo paper. 
Water is always an important part, so you're going to see a lot of water sometimes. Up on the hills above the, these regions is a lot of what's called hairy bamboo. Bamboo is an important fiber in um, this area. Um, also, when I asked what this was, they said reluctantly, well, they call it paper boards. It's, they call it jirban. And what it is is pre-processed fibers. The environmental regulations in the area don't allow a lot of processing of fibers. So they're, they're buying these fibers, these pre-processed fibers from somewhere. Um, then when the man told me, you know, a lot of our fibers come from your country. You produce some of the best fibers. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? They were buying wood pulp from the United States. And this is sort of, you know, yes, good or bad. Um, it's, it's hard to say, um, good or bad. I'm not quite sure. But he was honest. He told me that. So let's look at the process. Uh, they did at some point process their own fibers. These are vats for retting the fibers, concrete vats built there. I never saw any processing of fibers in Fuyang. Um, this is, let me just say, this man is pulling sheets of paper with the help of an overhead cantilevered system, so it sort of balances the, this is a bottle of water that can be filled with more or less water in order to add more weight to it. Um, <coughs> so he's pulling a sheet, he's laying this flexible screen onto what they call a bed. These are the, the, this is the vat, a deep vat from which he is going to pull the sheet. This is thicker paper, thicker paper pulp back here. He'll sort of let more in as this gets thinner. Um, dipping the mold into the vat. This is another area in the same, same area where he's pulling paper from a different kind of pulp. And you notice the cigarette and this cute little thing allows the water to drip off without uh, making splashes or papermaker's tears on the, the sheet. Here he's lifting up the bamboo paper from this mold. He's going to flip it down onto the post of papers. Hand here is going to help him lift up that flexible mold once he gets it laid down. Again, this is where they're making strand paper. He's laid it all the way, the screen all the way down. There's that little handle that allow him to lift up the mold very quickly. Post of papers. Not terribly even, but by the time the water is gently pressed out of it, the post becomes quite even. There again, you can see this is terribly wet. This is an extra margin that will eventually fall away. This is the finished size of the paper. Uh, it's probably about, this is about a foot and a half by about two and a half feet. Uh, sometimes they use a hydraulic press to press the water out after part of the uh, moisture has been allowed to drain away slowly. Here we have two paper makers, two Mr. Lees, and their posts of paper. They're standing beside the drying wall. And in Zhejiang, the wall was rather, rather hot. They're ready to pull the sheets off. Here they're transporting two large posts of paper down the hill on a rather um, ancient um, conveyance. It's sort of like a, uh, a wheelbarrow of sorts. It's, there's a single wheel in the front, and transporting it to a drying area. Here they're roughing up the posts to get the sheets loose on the edge. This is the tool, the handmade tool that he was using. Uh, pulling away at the corner, loose sheet. He's going to use a pine needle brush to lift that sheet away. It's still damp and billowing. He's going to turn around and lay it up against this wall. Those sheets were on the wall probably no more than about mm, 
60 seconds, 90 seconds, so you know that the water, I mean, that temperature is quite hot there. And then uh, as he's finishing away, you can see that pine needle brush. You might think it's rough, it's actually just very firm and does not tear the papers. I tried to do it and I tore the paper, of course, but the person who's very conveniently, who, who knows how to use it, doesn't make those kinds of mistakes. The women are pulling the sheets off, they're feeling whether they're dry or not. Uh, here's the firebox on the outside. Instead of the rope being turned into paper pulp, the rope is being used for the fuel for the firebox. There's the person tending the firebox. Stacks of the counted sheets, the smaller rough bamboo paper. And then bound with bamboo strips, I think there's plastic around, wrapped around it and ready to be shipped off to market. Family of printers. Um, this was done long enough ago, so this young girl has already finished college and is off in Singapore. Uh, this man is no longer doing paper. She was, this is the mother-in-law, she was the one who managed the finances. This is the wife. Three children in a time when one child family meant that they paid a lot of fines for this third child who was the son. Um, lovely family, a lot of fun. Here we have, we're going to Anhui, and Anhui Jingxian, I'm sorry, is number five, it's just slightly west of number two. Um, Jingxian is an area where a lot of paper making is done. It's the center of what used to be called the, the, the processing for Xuan paper. And let's look. This is a dyed sheet. I'll tell you more about the dyed sheet later on, but actually I'll talk with you about it when we come up to look at examples. Uh, um, just often this kind of paper comes out of uh, Anhui Jing's. Oops, Anhui Jing's. <clears throat> the town center is a lovely place with paper stores around the edges. Um, since 1999, it's changed a lot. A lot of the stores have gone out. Uh, the pond is still there. I visited last, I think, in 2005, maybe 2006, <coughs> yeah, 2005. Things have changed a lot. Um, paper, Shran paper is made with a combination of this, the inner bark of something called the blue sandalwood. This is related to the elm family. This is far too large a stem for them to, usually they use one year or two year stems and pull the outer bark off and use the inner bark to get their bast fiber. Here's some of the processed bast, unprocessed bast fiber just pulled off uh, dried. Uh, this is the dry land rice straw drying or bleaching out on the, the hillside. Often they try to leave it out for as long as a year to let it bleach naturally and to let the rainwater uh, wash it clearly. This is a cemetery in front. Here the man is washing the dry land rice straw to get whatever they've cooked it in away. Uh, a stone grinder mechanized. This is something like a Hollander beater. I don't know whether the inner blades are like the Hollander, but this is used to initially just beat and beat and beat to try to, hide, um, to hydrate the fibers as much as possible. Uh, the screens on which the paper is made. There are thin bamboo rods sticking up here. The person making the screen will lay, will lay the bamboo rods on top and then flip these little bobbins with silk thread back and forth to lock those individual uh, strips of bamboo in. Where they join them, the, the, the two uh, chain lines will be much closer together. Um, so you get the laid lines are formed by the bamboo, rod, bamboo strips and the chain lines are formed by the, the thread. 
Uh, the way Chinese paper is made, the grain of the paper, the way the water flows, is most often following the chain lines. I'll give you some examples of that later. Oops, backwards. Some screens hanging on the wall in a papermaker's warehouse. Uh, here we have a couple dipping this paper in. There's the bed, and they're dipping straight down. And the, the first the water flowed, uh, the water flowed this way, and then they're going to dip in again. So in, in, in Anhui, often it's a very quiet process, but often there are two dips. And then when they raise it up, they raise it so that it just is smooth, it, you know, it's level, it's, it's a quiet process. They don't slosh it again to produce the paper. And then you can see this water, this pulp, is, it's thin, but there's a kind of heaviness to it too. That's the formation aid. The Chinese call it zhiyao, or paper medicine. It's something that adjusts in some way uh, the pulp to make it more, um, to, to, just to suit the way, basically the, we, we think that the, um, the formation aid slows down the drainage of the pulp through the screen just the right way. And then this large screen has been laid down onto the post of papers. He's ready to drop that. And, the next, and his hand is already on that little handle, which will allow him to lift up the screen. And it's very fast. He just snapped it up. I couldn't catch it, you know, just in, in I could only catch it in mid-flight like this. Uh, the post is there, somewhat uneven, but it'll be weighted, and uh, the water drained out slowly, and it'll become much more flat. Um, I like this one. He's doing a six-foot sheet. Um, six-foot sheet is bigger than bigger than 54. It's probably closer to uh, six and a half, maybe almost seven feet wide, and about three and a half, three and a half feet high. Um, can you calculate? 180 is about yes, about six feet wide, and about yeah, that's about right. Uh, he's pulling it off, sort of wadding it up. It looks like he's destroying it, but he's going to lay it up on the wall. In Anhui, the, the drying process is done much more slowly. Probably takes about 10, 15 minutes for the sheets to dry, but this one is already loosening just a little bit. He waited. I tried to do this, but I was with this man trying to do it too, and I destroyed two or three sheets, and I just sort of laughed and said, I think I'll leave it to you. Um, this is a very, very, very large sheet. It's called a 12-foot sheet. It's better than 12 feet in... in um, the grain is going to run this way. It's better than 12 feet in width. And the height is, what is the height? 145 divided about by about 30 is how much. It's whatever. Divide that out and you'll see about how high this is. Um, I did not see the process of producing the paper. I only saw them toasting this large post of paper in the courtyard on a sunny day, but they also had coals under it. Uh, this is also a great set of slides. This young man is pulling one of those sheets of paper off slowly, wadding it up in his hand slightly, pulling it down, pulling it down. Bare, or socks on plastic to keep the sheet clean, setting it in a sort of pile there, a little pagoda, lifting it up with the support of this pine needle brush. Uh, this young man, clearly these guys are, you know, they've got muscles. Skinny as a rail, but strong. He brushes it up onto a wall. The edges, you notice, get a little bit um, marred and muffed up, but these sheets are all trimmed to a given size. So that the edges get battered a little bit doesn't matter. Uh, they take into account um, that process when they're making the, the size of the sheet. And then pulling it off the wall, basically he pleats it and pulls it off the wall. And there's your 
finished sheet, that, that huge sheet of paper. Oh, the thermometer here, I, I really don't remember what it was, but again, it was about probably no more than, um, no more than about 80, 85 degrees. Uh, so it's not terribly um, hot. It doesn't cook it. Now, young women are often the people who trim paper to size. She's using, she's using a gorgeous pair of hand-forged um, shears. The edge of the table is her guide. Um, she's just pushing this shears across, not chopping, just pushing it along the edge to shear off the edges. Um, here, the two of them are working together because they're making a very specific size, cutting large sheets into a very specific size for a very specific purpose. But again, the edge of the table is their guide, and they're pressing this sheet across, or pressing the, the shears across to get the sheet. There are the shears hanging on a wall. I have a pair of these. It didn't bring them. I thought I might, uh, someone might say, what's going on with these if I were stopped? Uh, papers stored in a warehouse are generally stored in bolts. This is a, it's a bark fiber paper, a bast fiber paper. It's often called peacher, pea meaning leather, but again, it's the kind of thing we talked about earlier today in a class. It's not leather, but it's the closest, it's the closest name that the Chinese could find to, to talk about a thicker, heavier paper. Uh, untrimmed, uh, or bast fiber paper is often untrimmed. Bolting it does not hurt it. It actually protects it a great deal. Um, these sheets, I'm not sure quite what's going on with these. These have been stored flat. It may be a very, very thick, heavy sheet because this particular manufacturer made some very heavy sheets of paper as well, pulled them very thick. This is Mr. Su in his warehouse with other Shren papers. Um, he looks like he's proud of his paper, and he indeed is. He produces very nice paper. Whether or not he's still making paper, I don't know. I haven't talked with him for four or five years. Lots of family things got in the way of my going to China. But he was so gracious in helping me understand what was going on with paper in Anhui Qingxian. Uh, here you can see the edge of the bolted paper, his logo, the kind of paper that it is, um, the sort of there is more dryland rice straw to bast fiber than in some other papers. It tells you the size of the paper. It tells you that it's, um, that, it's, that, it's, that it's sort of a perfect, it's not seconds, and then it gives you the place of production. And there's the family, Mr. Su, his wife, daughter, and son. The other son at that point was running a storefront in Beijing selling papers. Now we're in Sichuan. This is um, number... Um, four, way in southwest China. Um, this is called leopard spot paper of Sichuan variety. Um, looks like shooting stars to me. You know you're in Sichuan, one, because of the mountains and the pot of homemade pepper sauce in the courtyard. <laughs> you're in the mountains and they need a, a receiving disc in order to get it. Another homemade pepper pot in the courtyard. I mean, it's, it's in every courtyard. Every family makes its own, and it's eaten with everything. These women are using their hands to crush what's called dragon whisker grass. Um, Shran paper made in Sichuan often is primarily made of this <coughs> dragon whisker grass. Local fibers are, you know, there's the ideal for Shran paper, but it's the fibers that are local, that don't have to be transported very far that make uh, paper making economical. It's part of the important uh, thing to remember that there is the ideal of paper, but then there is the reality of making it work uh, economically. Uh, a basket of the cooked uh, dragon whisker grass. I find I like this picture a lot. Um, they make a lot of bamboo paper. They're using this 
uh, chopper that's hinged here to chop it into lengths. Um, yeah, and look at this guy. I mean, bronze, skinny as a rail, muscle. He's, he's one of the people pulling the sheets of paper for sure. Um, they're soaking this in, I always learned it in, in the Chinese word for it. Like generally they call it shaojian, which is basically you know, cooking alkali. And it's sodium hydroxide. Probably doesn't do good things to the paper, but it's getting rid of all of the things that are not fibers for, for making paper. Um, soaked in this, uh, they're stuffing this into a large pressure cooker. Um, you can see from the top, this is what the pressure cooker looks like. And shoving that stuff in. There's a little lid they're going to bolt onto it. And after this is cooked, it's pulled out the bottom. It's not totally in focus, but let's see what's going on here. Um, they're also using a lot of um, recycled paper. They said, oh, this, this um, drafts paper um, is, is great. I mean, it's wonderful fiber. Let's use it. So they use it. They mix it in with other fibers. Um, I fear for the water in Sichuan, but water is necessary. It's a necessary component. You have to have streams on, on which to draw the water. There are lots of streams rushing off of the, uh, the hills. And uh, this one I'm, it wasn't particular. It was just downstream from that, uh, that, that <laughs> place where they were um, pressure cookering the fibers. Um, I don't know if you can see this or not. Most of the, here we have very narrow, even pairs of chain lines across. But in Sichuan, I noticed that many times there was an extra set of short chain lines. And someone explained that to me, and that's where the screen is grabbed, the mold is grabbed, and it just reinforces that. I started noticing that on papers that I purchased that were made in Sichuan. Here, these uh, young men are charging the vat. They're dumping more of this pulp, probably a mixture of the dragon whisker grass and uh, recycled fibers into this large vat. They're producing a sheet that is called seven-foot paper. I don't have any standard dimensions for seven-foot paper simply because, I mean, it's greater than seven feet in width. Um, but that's the only place I ever saw it. They kept saying, nope, we call it, we call it chichir. You know, chichir is seven-foot paper. Okay, they're stirring this up very vigorously to get all of that pulp uniformly in place. This is a funny tool. Um, there is a Chinese novel in which a pig carries a tool like this. You probably know Zhu Baijie, maybe the pigsy, and uh, he carries a tool like this. I'm not quite sure what his use for it is, but um, it's, a, it's a fun tool. It, st it stirs up the vat very well. Now, these two gentlemen, again, thin as rails with you know, big muscles, are dipping this mold into the vat this way. There's a lot of you know, motion in that, in that pulp. They're lifting it up. There's a little bit of sloshing backwards. And then they tip it side to side. So you get paper flow, pulp flow in one direction, the short direction with the chain lines and back. And then you get some in both directions. And then there is a toss-off in a diagonal direction. I was always a little puzzled because some people who generally work with papers made in other areas say that Sichuan paper isn't good. Because, you know, it just isn't good. It isn't good. And, and I kept thinking, what are they talking about? I spritzered a sheet of Sichuan paper to see how it stretches when, you, when it gets wet. And indeed, it does this sort of thing. It's like, it's fine. It's stretching, it's stretching in the width. And then all of a sudden, it does this overall stretch because the fibers are not necessarily aligned in one direction. So the stretch is not, not uniform. Uh, here's again the paper-making family, husband, both. 
wife, uh, son, the two men who were pulling the sheets, and a young woman who assisted them with um, a variety of things like pulling the sheets off of the drying walls. This is another mountain family, a uh, husband and wife, and one of the mother-in-laws, a daughter, and then the assistant and the dog. They're up in the mountains. Here we have a single person sheet formation in Sichuan. It's supported again with ropes from the ceiling. Um, it seems like the screen is falling down. Um, it did every time, and every time it righted itself when he lifted that, that screen up. Uh, there's a, a decal, uh, yes, there's a decal, a loose decal on the right side. Lifts it up, it's very slow. Again, the flow was in this direction with the chain lines, and then he tipped it left, tipped it right, and then tossed it off in a diagonal direction. So Sichuan paper tends to have that non-uniform uh, grain direction as it's finished. Again, here they're laying the sheet onto the post, a flying, uh, flying mold. A fun little abacus on the edge of a, a vat allows them to tally um, paper made. Not very uniform, but again, by the end, after it's pressed out, um, it works quite well. Citron, the these are the tools to use to pull the sheets off of the post of papers. Uh, this is rather damp. I was a little surprised. Damper than paper I'd seen in other places. They're, they're lifting them up into groups of 10, pulling them off of the post very slowly, and then laying them in groups over a kind of um, sawhorse sort of saddle arrangement. And then they're going to be laid onto walls that are often the exterior walls of houses that have been plastered with a very, very slick plaster. Sometimes they're laid onto walls that have been you know, parallel walls running the entire length of the side of a courtyard. There's that pepper pot again. I ate some of this pepper. It was delicious. They made um, homemade bean curd for me and sloshed this stuff on top. It was good. So sometimes walls are built by paper-making families. Sometimes they're hung on boards under eaves. Sometimes they're stacked on boards. These boards would have sheets of paper on, and then this is up in the upper level. Uh, sheets are laid. Sometimes they do it on drying walls as well, as well if the weather is particularly damp. Uh, these are very, very slow. They put uh, slow drying. They put four, five, six, seven sheets um, onto the wall, one on top of the other, and might leave it for as long as a half hour, 45 minutes, even an hour or more until everything is dried very well. And then they're pulled off and laid onto a, a, a stack of the papers. The brushes there were made out of palm fiber. This is the exterior bark of a palm tree. Sheets laid up onto an interior wall. You can see it's glossy. That plaster is glossy. They've marked a stack of 10 sheets with um, soot. And then when they lay them up, they can see where the edges of these sheets are. Must dry a long time. So this is without any kind of heat. Uh, then as they're taken off, um, uh, the woman was separating the sheets as she pulled off a group of 10 of them would then separate the sheets with her bamboo knife. Is another great example. This is not handmade paper. This is machine-made bamboo paper, actually quite crummy paper, but uh, I've used this to make books and have done things to it so that it really becomes quite a lovely thing. Um, this is being trimmed with the edge of a table as a guide. There is a, a clamp that's sort of built into the table. He's using this marvelous knife uh, to saw off. You can see the sawing marks here. Um, bare feet, okay, 
continues to saw it off. And then he'll flip it around and trim this edge, flip it around again and trim all four edges. Extra knives in the back, extra knives hanging on the wall. This wall was used to put papers up for drying at some point. And here's the lovely family. This young woman and her husband run a shop in Shanghai selling papers from Citron. I met her and after, I don't know, three or four years of talking with them, just said, you know, if you're ever going home, maybe I could go with you. And finally, they arranged it. So they took me to visit her mother and father. This is a cousin. I felt I'd gone to paradise because you ended up at the end of a small road and climbed up a hill and I didn't know where I was, but it was just really beautiful and they were so gracious to me. Okay, now we're moving to site number, um, site number one. It's north and west of Beijing. This paper is called Korean, it's, it's called Gollijers, Korean paper, Korean style paper, or Chinese Korean style paper. The rubbing in, on the table in the front is also done on that Korean style paper. Now, why is it Korean style? Um, we'll talk about that in a second. It's a dry area. Where they get the water, I don't know. I really don't know where the water's coming from. Maybe springs underground, but paper takes water. This is harvest season. They've already harvested the crops. They're walking into uh, the, the paper maker's area. This is the pressure cooker. You've seen something like this in another place, the pressure cooker with a lid that's bolted on. He's showing me how this lid is lifted up with their, uh, their, their sort of lever here. Oh, by the way, this is the, the chimney for the, uh, the fire pot, the, the cooking, whatever they, uh, what do you call it, the, whatever, the heating mechanism. They're burning something in here to, to cook the instrument. This is mulberry bark, the kind of mulberry, the bark, inner bark from the kind of mulberry that's used to feed, um, feed silkworms. So it's not paper mulberry, but it's another kind of bast fiber. They produce, they handle their own fibers there. This is Mr. Chandratai holding his, um, his, his fibers. Um, they sometimes chop the fibers into bits using, again, another hand-forged tool. Uh, they're grinding up this paper in, you know, this probably was human-powered. Maybe at one point it could also be used with an animal to push it around. This dish is a stone or uh, concrete dish polished on the inside. A lot of uh, recycled fiber in this, just a lot of recycled fiber. Discouraging, but it's what's available. It's what's being used. It's not some sort of artificial, let's make it out of some, and make, it, make it up to some purest standards of paper. Here he's using a wooden tool to push the, uh, the pulp back into it. Now, this particular sheet formation is, to my sense, really fun. Um, the mold here is taller than it is wide, which is something like Korean paper molds, which are taller than they are wide. Uh, definitely, there's been some influence from Korean paper making techniques. Again, they're stirring this vat very, very quickly, dipping it in, a lot of flow. I mean, it's, it's, the water is moving very, very quickly, dipping it in, lifting it up, it's slush. This way, it's slush. That way, and then there is a side-to-side -side shape. I mean, I'm sorry this is blurred. I couldn't catch it. I mean, maybe I could if I had used a video, but I, I didn't catch it. Again, just splash, slush. And then they toss it off. You can see that there is formation aid in this because this is thicker than just plain water. Um, they are working with two screens, two molds. They're forming two posts of paper. There's one man who's laying the the, the, the finished sheets onto the posts of paper. They're waiting to receive the second one. There's already a sheet of paper left on the mold. And they're exchanging. And then he's laying this 
mold with that thin layer of pulp, which is the sheet, onto a post in which there is no sheet, there are no felts separating the sheets whatsoever. They're producing two posts, um, and the posts they were making here are just extraordinarily flat, very, very flat. Eventually, they'll lay rocks on top to gradually press out the water, and eventually it'll go under a hydraulic press to press out even more of it. Uh, these are posts waiting to be brushed up on the walls. Uh, they're sitting in the courtyard. A little dirty on the sides, but again, these are trimmed before they're sold. Um, this slide is um, forms the poster for, I think, for this, or maybe not, no, this, this is part of the same process. There's a poster for this talk, and this is the young woman who's on that. She's lifting the sheets down on the corner. We've seen that sort of thing before. Uh, he's using, again, the same kind of um, palm fiber brush that was used in Sichuan. So this is interesting. Way southwest China to northwest, uh, north and west, uh, north and east of Beijing, a long distance away, there are common traditions. Whereas in the Shanghai and west area, um, they were using a different kind of brush. Lifting that sheet down, it's going to lift it away from the post. Oh, by the way, this is in an area out, these are exterior walls. In the summertime, this would be green. The, the green is to keep the heat of the sun off, and it keeps it cool. We're already in the autumn, so this is dried. But all of these walls are used for paper, and since it's outside, it's going to take a longer time for them to dry. He lays them up on the wall. They're staggered. What is it, six or eight sheets are drying together. And then as they get dry, the young woman pulls the papers down from the corner. Uh, the young man comes and lifts them off in groups of, I guess, eight or ten, gently forms them into a bolt at this point, stacks them up, and they're carried into the warehouse. In this particular warehouse, they were stored flat. Um, they weren't trimming paper that day, but I asked them what tools they used to trim the paper, and they showed me, they demonstrated, they used a board as their guide, and this particular tool was the the guide they used for chopping it off. These windows are covered with paper, except for those two panels. Uh, paper was often used as a window covering in China. There's the production team. Um, the owner, his wife, two daughters, uh, the young man who seemed to be the foreman, uh, the, the gentleman who were pulling the sheets and doing the uh, laying it onto a post. I'm sorry, one more. Can you stand it? It's quick. This is Again, south, it's number, Tongyuan um, is number three. They produce beautiful bamboo paper. Um, there's the area, there's a wonderful stream here. It's called Tongyuan Stream. I worry about these electric, you know, what's happening with the electricity. The whole area used to be producing bamboo paper. They use bamboo now to make a lot of other things, like bamboo cutting boards, bamboo bowls, all the bamboo utensils you can find in, in stores in, in the United States. But papermaking is no longer quite so profitable. This particular family produces um, paper only when they have an order, only when, for example, the National Library of China requests paper for its conservation, when the Palace Museum wants to reprint um, a set of Buddhist texts, or when other libraries want to use it for um, some particular purpose. So they take orders. There's a bridge across the stream. This is just a wooden bridge across. Here are vats of the bamboo that are sitting in the courtyard. They're just, um, and I'm not sure exactly what's in this. There must be some sort of um, lime in it to, to help break down the fibers. Um, 
across the hills, you can see, again, uh, the bamboo. That's the, the source of their materials. This is an old um, place where they cooked fibers. They weren't using this um, very much. Um, here you have bamboo that's been uh, pro partially processed. It's more processed, more broken down. You can see they've been cut into strips even more broken down. So the fibers, as they sit, the longer they sit, the more broken down they get. Here's an old stamper that they still use sometimes. Um, this was hand or foot operated. They also had a motor that would allow them to use this to break down uh, the bamboo fibers as well. Now, this is the only place that I ever saw what they were using to to, as, as a formation aid. You can see how gooey and drippy this is. Mm -hmm. This is the bark of a sycamore tree cousin. This yielded a lot of very you know, gooey, viscous material that would be placed in the pulp, uh, in the vat, along with the paper. But this is the only place I ever saw what they were using to make the, the paper, uh, the, the, the formation aid. Um, again, this particular process was back and forth and back and forth. This is a very, very thin pulp. Um, it's just very, very thin. Many, many layers of um, pulp were laid up on this, back and forth, dipping this way and that way. Never a sideways shape. It was always in one direction. They also laid plants, like palm leaves, in the bottom. They said it helped dampen any kind of um, waves. So I'm not quite sure, I didn't understand this particularly, but they said, no, it just dampens the waves. We don't get quite so many waves that way. And it pull on a lot, dump off a lot, over and over again. Eventually, he turned that flexible screen over onto the post, a very nice, even post. And um, this young woman is the daughter of, uh, of the, the man who owns this family operation. She's the one who does all of the drying of paper. She's using her mouth, a mouthful of water, to spritz this bolt in order to dampen it again slightly. This is a very standard thing that scroll mounters used to do. Instead of using a hand spritzer or um, a little bottle spritzer, they would use their mouth and just spit it. They knew how much water they were getting onto it. Um, these are not huge sheets. Again, they were made to a particular size, about, mm, about maybe two feet by a little more than two feet in this direction. Uh, there's the firebox. Uh, these are the little pine needles that they used in this area. She, they make their own brushes, and she was just showing me. Actually, she was going to give this to me, and I forgot to take them the first time I visited them. When I went back this last year, she reminded me, you know, you forgot to take those things. <laughs> and I was, she said, but we aren't making any now, so I don't have any. But just remember, you forgot to take them. I mean, you know, and basically it was a funny thing too. She said, you know, you came once, and that was in 2000, uh, what did I quote there, 2000, uh, 2006. I went back in 2014, and they, just, they welcomed me again, and they said, you know, you came once. We thought you'd come again, and now we know for sure you'll be back a third time. And it was just really uh, kind of just a lovely welcome. Um, she's drying these up on the wall. She's laying them one over the other. Again, they're drying very, very slowly. It's a heated wall. They only fire the, the heating wall up once during the day, and they get as many sheets dried as they can because they don't want to waste the fuel. They use just enough fuel to make it hot enough for the entire day. Here she's pulling them off slowly. This is beautiful bamboo paper. It's the, the, the skinniest of my paper sample books up here is just their paper. 
uh, this sheets are counted. This is a, these are actually all made to order, a specific order got them. They said, we don't make paper if we don't have an order, which is a sad thing because all of the children, four or five of them used to work with them producing paper, but now it's just one daughter, um, actually a daughter, daughter and a son-in-law, and then a son and a daughter-in-law work with them. Um, now, let's look at a little bit of some of the traditional ways that paper was used. Very, very few slides. Woodblock printing, blocks stored in a private library. Uh, this woman has inked up a block, which is under there. There's the ink, there's the, um, the brush she uses to ink up the block. She's using a baron to press this um, paper onto the, uh, to the block to pick up the ink. Uh, this is another kind of block printing. It's uh, color multiple wood block printing. This is a pack of papers that are clamped to a table. And you can see in the next slide, the papers have been folded back. He's set another color block, one that he's going to print in blue, down and anchored it with little nails. He's going to ink that up with the blue ink and put it on a little stone. The brush is brushing it onto the block. He's going to flip the sheet of paper over this way and then take the baron and brush it down. This is called, if you will, bean block. It's small blocks. It's not the entire block that's being reprinted, but just that portion. If there's another color to be printed in red, they'll place it in the place they want it, and then ink it up and lay the sheet over again. So it's color by color. Um, this is a Chinese book page in very bad shape. Conservators use Chinese paper to repair these. They're uh, eminently repairable. It's spread it out. It's worm-eaten, it's got mold, it's dirty, but conservators are brave women, generally women. There's some men who are conservators uh, working in China. Very, very strong. Here I'm just to show you how they repair some of these wormholes. This young woman is using very thin paste. She's got a sheet of paper that's compatible. This is the, <coughs> the original paper. She's applying the paste. She then lays the sheet of paper on top with her fingers, presses down tugs the paper away, and then that wormhole has been filled in. It's been supported around it. Look at it another time. <coughs> the edge, <coughs> the edge has been, sorry, just one second. <coughs> the edge of the tear has been, will be uh, outlined in paste. She'll lay the sheet of paper, which is of, um, she's judged that to be just right for repairing it. She'll lay it down, press her fingers on top, I asked her to pull her fingers away to see this whole area has been, <clears throat> the torn area, the eaten away area has been covered. And she'll come back and just tug it away. The excess paper, oh, sorry. That's the repair on this. Now, this is the back of a little pamphlet. What it says is, um, a respectfully treasuring paper bearing words is merit without end. Mm -hmm. So paper is valued and paper with words is perhaps even more valued. <clears throat> so, now I see. So that's Chinese paper. Mm -hmm. So, we have samples to see, but we have time to just. Let me choke up at this part. We have time for just one or two questions. Wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much. The, the fifth section where you talked about the sycamore bark, Yes. Uh, could, did you actually see how 
they extracted the goo from the sycamore bark to put it into the vat. I just, all I saw was, it was clearly a very green, you know, a young tree that they pulled it off. Maybe they pulled the exterior bark off and they simply tied it up and dumped it in a... So the bark itself went in as well. Well, all I saw was this very green stuff. You saw a very green, I can go back to the slide if you want them. Um, you can probably. They cook it. They cook it, right? I don't know whether it's cooked or not. I couldn't tell whether it's cooked. I mean, you learn stuff when you're, you know, you just learn stuff. And sometimes you ask the right questions, and then the next time you go, you learn. There. Um, I don't think it's cooked. I can't tell whether it's cooked or not. It looks very raw. It looks as though they just sort of soaked it. Maybe it is partially cooked because it looks a little softer. There's no dark bark on the outside. It's just that, um, you know, it's just that, that green stuff. Maybe they stripped away some of the exterior bark. But it's definitely viscous. You could feel it. And as um, Tim Barrett said today, this kind of, this kind of formation aid basically disappears. If you get your fingers on it, it doesn't stay sticky. Once it dries, it's sort of gone. It's a kind of an ethereal, ethereal material that um, is there, serves its purpose, and then seems to be gone. But you could, if you're a papermaker, experiment with it. Find some young sycamore tree that you dare rip the bark off and then uh, try it. I'm not a papermaker. I just am trying. I got to, at this because I used beautiful books printed on Chinese paper, and then I married someone who is interested in books and paper, and then I started being more interested in Chinese bookbinding and wanting to know more about the materials and then thinking, well, I can go learn about this. Basically, when you're learning about Chinese paper or paper traditions in any country, you have to start in some ways with the present and work back to see if what is there tells you something about what was there before. I I have some, in a little notebook in front, uh, illustrations from um, a text that was really done, originally done in the early 17th century that shows fundamentals of paper making. Many of the same things that we see on the slides are there illustrated, you know, very simply in the illustrations. But the process has changed, but not that much. Are there other questions? Yes? The, um, the, the drying walls that have heat, yes. um, were they all the same material? What was that material? Um, sometimes iron, sometimes stainless steel. So you can imagine if it's iron, you're going to have uh, some iron flex in it. It maybe causes a little um, concern that maybe there's going to be a little bit of foxing in the paper down the road, but they're metal. I didn't see any ceramic walls, although I heard that there are walls that are ceramic, but metal of some kind, generally stainless steel, I think, but um, I saw enough rust on some of them to believe that they were not stainless steel. We have samples to see and uh, a reception to attend where we can spend more time talking to Nancy about this fascinating subject which you have portrayed for us in an incredibly riveting manner. We thank you most heartily.